It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Religion Today with Martin Tanner, a weekly look at religion and spirituality here at home and around the world. Now, here's your host, Martin Tanner. Welcome. This is Religion Today. I'm your host, Martin Tanner. Many Latter-day Saints have taken the opportunity to study the book of Isaiah right now, so I thought I might give a few hints about how to better understand the book of Isaiah, because it's not as difficult as some people think, but it does take a bit of understanding about the context and some effort to really learn about how Isaiah writes and what his purposes are. If you understand the context in which he wrote, the purposes behind his writing, and a bit about his world, then you're off to a good start. So, who was this guy, Isaiah, and what is his book? Well, the book of Isaiah is the sixth longest book in the Bible. Jeremiah, Genesis, Psalms, Ezekiel, and Exodus are longer. Isaiah is number six. It's a fascinating book because it's written by perhaps the most famous Old Testament prophet of all, at least the one that is the very most revered in the Latter-day Saint faith. In Hebrew, Isaiah comes from two words that are combined together, Yasu Yahu, which literally means Jehovah saves or Yahweh saves. So Isaiah's name actually talks about God being our Savior. Who was Isaiah? Well, he's a man who we actually know more about than you might think. For example, archaeologists have, in all probability, found the signature of the prophet Isaiah. And you say, what do you mean by signature? Well, I, not his actual handwritten signature, but the equivalent of the day, which is a clay seal. Just as in Japan, for example, many people use stamps or seals to finish a transaction in ancient world cultures of various kinds, including Israel. People would seal a clay. They would drip wax and they would use a clay seal to um, push into the wax to show who the author was or who had sealed it. In 2009, a broken clay seal was found with Isaiah's name on it, the words Yashiyahu, and it was followed by the word NVY or NV, the Hebrew alf likely followed. So the seal says, belonging to the prophet Isaiah. How do we know that? Well, 
you want more details on this, go to a fascinating magazine, which I've subscribed to off and on for decades and decades, the June 2018 uh, Biblical Archaeology Review article has more information about that. It's, it's really a well-done article as well. You might say, what's the likelihood that you would find the seal of the actual prophet Isaiah? Maybe it's some other Isaiah. Well, possibly, but Israel wasn't that big of a place back then. Jerusalem wasn't that big of a place back then. More about that in a minute. Great are the words of Isaiah is something that we read in 3 Nephi chapter 23, verse 1. The words of Isaiah are plain unto all those that are filled with the spirit of prophecy, says Second Nephi chapter 25, verse 4. Many people say, well, I must not be filled with prophecy because they aren't plain to me. Well, they can become plain if you'll take the time. So more about Isaiah in the time that he lived. He was born about... 760 BC. That's a long time ago. He died in about 702 BC at age 58, give or take. God called Isaiah to be a prophet about 742 BC. We learn this from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. Isaiah prophesied during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. These were, of course, all kings of Judah. How do we know that? Right from Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1. Isaiah lived until the 14th year of Hezekiah's reign, which would have been in 702 BC. That means that Isaiah prophesied for 40 years from 742 to 702 B.C. That would be from age 18 to age 58. That is a long time to be a prophet. Isaiah was highly educated. We know that from his incredible writing style. We know that he was well acquainted with the ruling class and the king's court at Jerusalem. This is also easy to discern by reading the book of Isaiah. He must, therefore, have been from a wealthy, high-respected family, or something very close to that. Maybe highly respected, but not wealthy, or wealthy, but not highly respected. But the general consensus of opinion is that he was from a family that was wealthy and had connections in the king's court and was highly respected. Otherwise, he would not have had entrance into the court. The style of his writing is extraordinary. He's been described by biblical scholars as the Shakespeare of his time, which in some ways, is pretty kind of Shakespeare. I mean, Shakespeare was fabulous, but Isaiah is absolutely extraordinary for his time. Isaiah's wife is called the prophetess in Isaiah 8, chapter 3. This could be because she had the gift of prophecy, like Deborah, who we read about in Judges chapter 4, 
Maybe Huldah, who we read about in Second Kings chapter 22, or maybe she's just called that because she's Isaiah's wife, the wife of a prophet. We don't know. Isaiah and his wife had two sons. One is literally named, the remnant will return, Sheer Jashub in Israel, or excuse me, in, in Hebrew. And the other one is Mehershal al-Hashbaz, which means the spoil will be soon and plunder will be right away. The literal meaning is, is more like spoil speeds, prey hastens, but that's the gist of it. The idea is that there will be problems really, really soon. You can read about those two sons in chapters 7 and 8 in the opening verses of those two chapters. One of the other things that's fascinating about Isaiah is how long ago he lived. To put this in perspective, Christopher Columbus sailed to the Americas in 1492. That was 500, well, that's over 525 years ago. The great Isaiah scroll was written from the Dead Sea Scrolls, was written about 125 BC, and Isaiah prophesied about 742 BC. That's 577 years before the Dead Sea Scrolls, or most of them, were written. What am I trying to say? We think of the Dead Sea Scrolls as being incredibly old, and they are because they are the oldest known um, significant compilations of the Old Testament. And yet Isaiah was farther before the Dead Sea Scrolls when he lived than Columbus was from when we are alive now. That's a long, long time ago. All right, let's talk a bit about Isaiah's world. I'm going to compare it for a minute to the time of Jesus' world, but we're going to do all that right when we come back. Stay tuned. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. Religion Today with Martin Tanner continues on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. We're back. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. If you have a question or comment about this program or any other, feel free to send me an email. I should also mention that I had several emails about last week's program about uh, masonry and the Latter-day Saint faith. I didn't really have a transcript of that to give to people, but please, please send me an email that asks for the specific parts of that discussion that you might have an interest in, and I'll see if I can get you some good source material on it. Sometimes I speak from something that's written down fairly well and sometimes more or less from a set of notes based based on what I know. And that would include today's show. I don't have some transcript of today's show, but I can give you information if you have a question or comment about Isaiah and have interest in some specific aspect of what I'm trying to describe. So let's compare Isaiah's Jerusalem with Jerusalem at the time of Jesus and at the time 
that we live in today. Today, the population of Jerusalem is a little under 900,000. It's a big place. Just under a million people live in Jerusalem. In Jesus' day, it's estimated to be about mm, five or 600,000, so not quite half the size, a, a little bit more than half the size. It was still a very big place. Now you go back to the time of Isaiah based on the size of the city wall and the number of people that could live in a certain location, it's pretty well estimated that the number of people who lived in Jerusalem at the time of Isaiah was between 1,500 people and 2,700 people. In other words, when Isaiah was prophesying in Jerusalem, the entire city had about as many people living there as were in an average high school, the number of students. By comparison, the number of seats in the church's conference center is 21,000. That's many, many times more people than lived in Jerusalem at the time of Isaiah. That's why when you find in old, old Jerusalem from approximately 700 BC, a seal that says belonging to Isaiah, we're pretty sure it was the Isaiah. There were probably not a whole lot of people with that name at that time. So keys to understanding Isaiah, the organization of his writings is important to know to do that. Chapters 1 through 33 are warnings of judgments and promises of a subsequent restoration for Jerusalem and other nations. In other words, things are going to get bad, the Jews are going to be scattered, which we know happened about 100 years after Isaiah prophesied in about 600 BC, about the time Nephi left. And then we learn about in chapters 34 through 66, the judgment and destruction that takes place just after 600 BC and about a future restoration. So here are some of the keys to understanding Isaiah. There really are a few of these that are important. One is that he talks about the Messiah a future chosen one who will have a specific mission, who will atone for his people or reconcile his people to God, who will come again. And then there's also a discussion in Isaiah about the millennial reign. We also have a discussion in Isaiah's writings about the restoration which, according to Latter-day Saints, would include the Book of Mormon and the gathering of Israel, which we have this strong tradition about in the Latter-day Saint faith. It was so important that Orson Hyde was sent off to Jerusalem to 
dedicate the land for the restoration of the Jews. And of course, that was during the time of Joseph Smith. And then a hundred years later, approximately, the state of Israel was formed. And that's an incredible prophecy that was come true close to our lifetime or in the lifetime of some of the elders of us who are listening to this show. The events in Isaiah's day are also described in his writings. Wars, wickedness, apostasy, impending captivity, and scattering of Israel. He talks about the fall of Assyria and Babylon. And there are also metaphors for all the evils that are going on in the world. Nephi said that Isaiah was difficult for the Nephites to understand because they did not know the manner of the prophesying among the Jews and the regions round about Jerusalem. We kind of have that same problem, right? Take a look at 2 Nephi chapter 25, verses 1 through 6, and you will see that he laments that this is a problem. If you don't know how someone writes, and if you don't know the context, the geographical context of their writing, it makes it a little bit difficult to understand. So if you take the time to understand Isaiah's writing style, and if you take the time to look at old Jerusalem in a map, and there are many of these available on the internet, it will help you a great deal. So what is Isaiah's writing style? This is the biggest key. Isaiah uses this wonderful repetition and symbolism, usually from society and the norms of his day, and then he applies them to their latter-day fulfillment. He says the same thing typically twice, sometimes even four times. So we might say something like, Winters in Utah are very cold. And when it gets to be December in Utah, the temperatures drop. It's like saying the same thing twice. Isaiah does similar things, but it's a little bit different, difficult to cue up to because unless you know the context there in ancient Israel, it might be hard for you to grasp, but that's one of the keys to his writing style. He also applies what he has talked about from his day to Latter-day Fulfillment. As a result of that, many of his prophecies have multiple fulfillments. And so you might hear in a priesthood or a relief society or a Sunday school class, people arguing about whether an Isaiah... A verse refers to an ancient fulfillment or a future fulfillment, and the answer is it might be both. This is really an important thing. And here's a final key that I would like you to consider, and I'll preface this with I love the King James Bible. It's a fabulous translation. It's an excellent translation, but please also get a good modern, current-day English Bible. It will really help you understand Isaiah. There are two that I recommend highly. One is the New Revised Standard Version, the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version. 
This is the one that is used by virtually all of the theological seminaries in the world, at least that speak English. And the other good one is the contemporary English version, because it is so contemporary and so modern that it is easy to understand. Do that and your understanding of Isaiah will be greatly enhanced. I'm Martin Tanner. Join me again next week. This is Religion Today. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.